prices. Some of us are waiting for the electricity bill. So good waiting and bad waiting. I appreciate the kids. And I just want to recognize uh, we're having a party for the young gener next generation because we also want to say thank you to all the volunteers. Um, can you stand if you serve in the kidsmen ministry as a volunteer can, in any way? Could you stand for a moment? Don't be shy. All right. Let's, let's thank them. And then there are two more, David Arredondo and Ingrid. Um, just so many, so many faithful people just serving and loving our kids. And then we also have a team of five amazing leaders that are working with our youth. And just, well, this could be part of the message. But more and more, I'm convinced that a great church is not a church with a lot of programs. A great church is a church with a lot of people investing and loving and spending time with one another. And I noticed that we're, there are some churches that are at homes. There are some churches that are meeting in big mega, mega churches and some churches like us. We need every different kind of church because some people are still seeking community and the good news and truth. And so for whatever reason in Hillsboro, 13701 in La Mirada, God has established us here. And we realize God has called us to be a community. They're not coming for the property, although it is beautiful here. They're coming because of you. And God has equipped us to be that minister and, and loving community. So I'm excited. Let me just jump right in. 430 years passed, and John the Baptist finally is saying, prepare the way. And a few days later, he actually sees somebody walking, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's an amazing story, so we're going to dive into that. And realize that Advent is, what if Advent is living like John the Baptist? So with that in mind, I want to start by sharing this. There was a wedding here. Uh, have, has anyone been a best man or a maid of honor or a bridesmaid or a groomsman in your life? Can you raise your hand? Okay. I, I think I know most of you. I don't think there's any one of you who ever thought this at a wedding. You're the groomsman. I was a groomsman. I was a, a best man for a friend of mine. I never thought, and I don't think any of you ever thought at the wedding day, how come no one, no one is saying how beautiful I am? How come everyone keeps looking at the bride and the groom? I don't think there's anyone in here that you wore your dress, you're a bridesmaid, and you said, look how beautiful I am. Everyone look at me, look at me. I don't think there's anyone that did that. If you did, it would be on YouTube, it would be one of those viral videos of a weird thing that happened that this person is crazy. Because... Who is the main focal point of a wedding? The bride and the groom. And that is not a funny illustration. John the Baptist actually uses that analogy to say, John, everybody is leaving you and they're going to Jesus. Don't you care? And John the Baptist says, the groom is with the bride and the bride is with the groom. The friend of the bridegroom rejoices rejoices at hearing just the voice of the groom. And what he's saying is, it is not about me. It is about him. And if Jesus of all the people in the world take all the attention and focus, I am delighted and joyful in that. And so John the Baptist, I don't think he gets enough credit. If we say, who is your hero in the Bible? A lot of you say, David, Moses, Abraham, other than Jesus, like Paul, Peter. 
I don't think anyone, many people say John the Baptist. In fact, Matthew says in 3, Matthew 3, in those days there was John the Baptist. He said, prepare the way of the Lord. And this is what we kind of focus on. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and honey. And so I, I made this crime too. A lot of pastors and leaders are like, John the Baptist is weird. He eats honey and locusts. What a wacko. And then I realized, you know, John the Baptist is one of those oddballs. But if you think about it, he wasn't weird. I'm going to make a stand today that John the Baptist is not weird. Three reasons. Number one, isn't it kind of silly and ignorant to always make fun of or see someone's food and delicacy as weird? For example, in 1960s, 70s, 80s, the way you dressed, the way you ate, would you say that you were kind of weird? Liars. Okay, when I look back in the 1980s, it might be weird. And if you go to different cultures, you don't go, oh, you're weird. You eat that? In Korea, we eat a lot of strange foods that Westerners probably wouldn't. So I'm not sure if John's weird because he ate locusts and honey. In fact, he was very organic and very proper and healthy. So I don't think he was weird for that. I don't think he was weird because, second reason is, Jesus himself says this about John the Baptist. And this is really a statement that Jesus, you know, if you think about Jesus making this kind of statement, it's, it's like, what, what does Jesus mean? This is, listen to what Jesus said about John the Baptist, Matthew eleven eleven. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. To Jesus, John the Baptist was not weird. He was amazing. He was the greatest born amongst women, according to Jesus. And so we look at him as weird, this crazy guy who says, you brood of vipers to the Pharisees. But Jesus says he is the greatest born of women. But the main focal point, the third thing is, and I think he's not weird because what if John the Baptist, now just be with me here for a minute. What if the way John the Baptist lived was not odd, but it was really the norm? Hear me out. What if the way John the Baptist lived was not eccentric and exceptional, but that's actually a good image of how someone who believes and waits on God lives? We don't think like that. We're like, oh, that's John. That's you. You do you. In America, we say that a lot. Oh, what you believe is what you believe. What I believe is what I believe. But what if the way John lived might be not weird because that's part of the way we should be living? A couple of the ways that I see that in his life, in his story, is this. In verse 19, this is the testimony of John. Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed. <clears throat> And he didn't deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. First of all, like he knew who he was, right? Three times he says, I am not. Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you sent from God some amazing? I, no. What does he say? Are you the prophet? No. Who are you? They answered. They asked him so we could have an answer. People were drawn to John. They, and I, I think in a day of social media, what's the thing that kids really want when they have social media? It starts with the F, followers. You have 20,000 followers? You are amazing. And I'm going to touch upon that. And John has this draw about him. People are like, are you 
are you the Messiah? Are you prophet? And how easy was, was it for John to say, I got something going here. I could start my own like, temple. I could start my own following. I could be rich. No, but he wears camel hair and eats locusts and honey. He chooses his life. And what John the Baptist is saying, every time he says no, it's not just an identity question. What he's saying is, it's not about me. Can we just say that just refreshingly as a church? Just humor me. Here we go. It's not about me. God is for us and he loves us. We are definitely special and set apart. But what we have to remind ourselves, especially in the season of Advent, is this whole world, our whole family, this life, eternity, it's not about me. It's about the he. And that, John grasped that. This is why he wasn't weird. This is why he was so amazing. Verse 23, he said, you know who I am? I'll tell you who I am. What would you answer? Who are you? Give us an answer. Verse 23. Can we put it up there? He says, I am the voice. What are you? I am a voice. What are you? I'm a voice. John 1, 23. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. What are you, John? You know what I am? I'm just the messenger. I'm just the guy who delivers this good news. Prepare the way of the Lord. We want to be the main spotlight. We want to be at the weddings, the, the, the bride and the groom. Look how everyone loves them, adores them. But if you're the one jumping up and down saying, look at me, look at me, we, we don't understand Christianity. We are simply pointers to the one who sits on the throne. And in that, we find freedom, peace. Think about the burdens that are released when you realize the life and the world cosmos doesn't revolve around us. Do you remember a time when they thought the sun revolved around the earth? That was, that was only a couple hundred years ago. Just let me say that again. There was a time when we thought the sun revolved around the earth. And in 2022, I admit, there are times where I forget and I think the world revolves around me. And so what John the Baptist does here is, I am just a voice. I have one job, is to be the voice of the one. I prepare the way, just like Isaiah said in Isaiah 43. I think Christians today, we get confused about life. And I think this is why we get frustrated. Christian life, we get frustrated because we ask we answer the purpose of life this way. What is the purpose of life? It's just to be positive. It's just to have a good life, whatever that means, right? De that depends on each person. You know, it's just to, you know, have a little religion, but don't get, take it too seriously. And so in 2019, there was an article from MarketWatch, and the title was, Move Over Millennials, This Generation, Gen Z, is Even More Obsessed with Fame and Fortune. And they surveyed 3,000 people. And this shocked me. 69% um, of Gen Z, that's uh, children born after 2000, say that making money is more important compared to 59% of millennials. Remember, millennials, I think, are like, I want to make an impact. Gen Z is like, no, I want to make money. <laughs> um, but this is the big one. Um, just do a survey here. How many of you thought growing up your goal was to become famous? You're just embarrassed. Some of you wanted to be on Disney Channel. Okay. 8% of millennials wanted, said, I'm going to be famous when I grow up. That's actually high. 
Gen Z, the generation that grew up only knowing the internet, 12%, more than one out of 10 said, I'm gonna be famous one day. And psychologists study that, and do you know why they think that? All they know is the internet, and who are the most influential on the internet? The famous, the ones with the 100,000 followers. That's the purpose of life. That's where I find meaning, getting followers. That person, she's right, she's influential. I'm not, what she's saying is kind of dumb at times, but you can't, I believe it. She has 100,000 followers. And so the psychologist said, this generation um, is absorbed in this idea. Let me read it. They look up to people on social media who have a huge following and make millions. They feel connected to them despite not actually knowing them and admire their success. Gen Z thinks those with huge following and millions in the bank are the happiest, most successful people out there. They see their glamorous lives, exotic vacations, jets. But the psychologist says superficial satisfaction will result from superficial life. And that's why they are always depressed or more depressed, never satisfied, and even feel emptier. It didn't answer the problem. And so you see, John the Baptist wasn't weird because he had all of that. You have all the followers, and he's like, I do not care. My mission is this, repent, prepare the way. The judge is coming. The Savior is coming. And so what a freedom you have when you realize the life doesn't revolve around you, that God loves you, but life doesn't revolve around you. And the problem with all of these things is this. All the statements, I want to live a good life, be positive. I want a little religion, but don't get too carried away. If you listen to all of it, God solely exists for our goals and purposes. We don't exist for God's glory, purpose, and design. And everything in cosmos, Jesus said, even the rocks will cry out and praise him if we're silent. It's for the glory and the desire and the praise of God. This is where the church needs to say amen. Amen? So, so we forget that. And so John's not weird. Maybe we're the ones weird. When do we usually pray? Maybe it's because I need that job. I need that interview to go well. I need the test. I need that house. I want her to say yes. I want, I want that healing. I want that healthy life. I want that college to open up. God is a tool for us. So Tim Keller says, godly people find God beautiful. Religious people find God useful. We want to be people that sees God as beautiful, not as useful. He is. He's gracious. But Advent waiting is, I'm waiting on you, God, because you are God. And so um, Ecclesiastes ends with the whole chapter of Ecclesiastes. The writer is saying, what's the meaning of life? I tried job, I tried money, I tried drinking, fame, sex, everything. Everything's meaningless. And he ends the whole book with this, with this verse. The end of the matter all has been heard. You ready? What's the purpose of life? Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of mankind. So simple. So John the Baptist lives this out, and he sees a wider range in who Jesus is. In verse 29... Um, we don't have to read over it, but I want to highlight who is Jesus to John the Baptist? They are 
cousins. They're half cousins, right? Mary and Elizabeth, the mothers, were cousins, so they're like connected. Now, think of your cousin. Think of your closest cousin. Everyone, think of a cousin. You ready? Think of your cousin and, and imagine that cousin being somebody that God has sent or could possibly be the savior of the world. Can you envision your cousin being the savior of the world at one time? Like, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> You'd be like, that's my cousin. Now, I don't know if John the Baptist and Jesus grew up together, hanging out, playing ball, kicking sheep, or I don't know, riding down donkeys. I don't know what they did. But I do know this. They knew they were cousins. But this is what John the Baptist says. The way he views Jesus is not just a cousin. He has a wider lens. And he says, verse 29, the Lamb of God, behold, takes away the sins of the world. Verse 30, this guy, he was Jesus. He was before me. You know what he's saying? He's saying he's God. 33, this Jesus, he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I only baptize with water. Verse 34, and I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Do you and I have a wider view of Jesus than just this nice, kind, blonde-haired man who holds sheep and invites children? It's, it's, it's amazing to me that John the Baptist humbles himself to a half-cousin who he sees because of the witness of the dove descending on him when he was baptized. And John the Baptist said, he is God. This is the way John lived. And John answered to this beauty of, of who Christ is. You bear witness, uh, you bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He is saying over and over again in this analogy, I am just the friend of the bridegroom. I am not the groom. This is the focus that you want to focus your life on. And so at the end of it, he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. I like Eugene Peterson's rephrasing of it in verse 30. This is the assigned moment for him to move into the center while I slip off to the sidelines. You see, I don't think John the Baptist was weird. In the Advent hope that we have, the way you and I view Jesus has to be that my life has to be more and more going to the sideline, so Jesus becomes prominent and center. This is our desire. This is our goal. And lastly, when you see John, he's somebody who I, I wanted to share this because I think when I was gone, um, it was something miracle. Uh, Robin McClarty, Reverend Robin Clarty preached the same text that I preached on the same day. We didn't plan that. I preached it in New Jersey. She preached it here. And then I used the analogy also of the soils. And to go further, seeds scattered, but in the parable of the sower that I used, I went to that a little bit more. There are four soils, and I want us to hear this in light of this. The seeds represent the words of the gospel, right? So they're scattered, first landed on rocky soil, second landed on shallow soil, third landed on soil but it was choked out by weeds and the last one landed on fertile soil and it was fruitful and so the what you see in john is this the first soil they receive the message and it's all knowing like we hear it and we know it but we don't let it penetrate into our hearts it doesn't transform you and so you see the message like in judas heard the same message. he never changed but something about the disciples, other disciples changed. The second is 
you know, they received it, but they never let it transform them. So when hardship came, they, their faith whittled out. The third is they're Christians. They received it. They're saved by it. They believe in Jesus, but their eyes were on idols, and they were distracted. They get choked out by the worries because they chase after happiness or things of the world, and their faith gets choked out. So they're saved, but they just barely. And you see, lastly, the good soil where the seeds, it doesn't just germinate. It transforms dirt. What happens to dirt when seeds grow into fruit and produce? What do you call that? You call it a garden. It's amazing. Like, the dirt gets transformed by the seed that's planted in it. And so when you see, when you drive by a farmland, you don't go, look at that dirt. <laughs> you know what I see? When we go to road trips and you see orchards, hey, what a beautiful garden with fresh fruit. It's transformed. And so what we see in John the Baptist is this. The good news is not just conveyed to us, but it transformed us. It sunk in deep. The seeds penetrated the soil. And John the Baptist, by the grace of God, allowed the good news of the gospel to penetrate him. Now, my concern for the church today is this, and in my life is this. Do I only know the gospel or am I transformed by the words of the good news? Are we people that just have a lot of knowledge? And even people that read the Bible and great theology books, but there's no fruit, there's no transformation. You're the hard soil. It's just here. It hasn't transformed us. And so Christian life is a transformed life. The words penetrated deep. And the way we view God, the way we view our neighbors, is radically transformed. How? He must increase. And I must decrease. And so I want to end with this. Jesus' first coming. Who was the voice? It was John the Baptist. Church, Jesus is coming again. Who is the voice in this time around? If you're a believer, we say, I am. The voice calling out to the world today that God has established is the church. This is why church is not going to be about me. It's going to be about gathering together with each other to proclaim with love, good news, and service. We're proclaiming he's returning. Be ready. Be prepared. He's coming. This is why church is not about programs, but I think it's about real relationships. It's not just people who know theology, but it's people who are transformed by the words of the gospel. And it's not just a place to attend, but it's a place where we gather to bring glory to God. He must increase. We must decrease. This is being Advent people as we wait for Jesus' return. This is the weird life that John the Baptist lived. And perhaps we need to get a little weirder like John. Or we need to get maybe more like God's words called us out to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's easy to look at the people of the Bible and just 
discount them as weird, exceptional people who we couldn't imagine ourselves being like. But I, I do confess, maybe John the Baptist, the way he lived, the way he prepared, the way he made a way for your path, make straight the path and called it out, was the, is exactly the way we should be living as a church. Lord God, you, you came to us. You made a way. Lord, we keep making this life a story about us when it's all about you and what you've done. You came. You died on the cross. You paid for the debt of all of us, and you rose again, defeating death and giving us hope. And God, you're coming back again to take us home. And so prepare us. Help us to be those who prepare the world for that. In this time of Christmas, um, there's so many distractions indeed. Help us to get to the simple reality just to be longing for you with the joy that John had as he had the joy of hearing your voice. Jesus, you are our hope. You are our treasure. And so may you be our prize again. We thank you for all this reminder and this good news. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.